Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope you are really blessed by hearing it. Our success is ours. We earned our money, didn't we? We worked hard for it, didn't we? No, absolutely not. As a disciple of his, everything good we have is given to us by him. And how unattractive is it when a famous person thinks their wealth is down to their own hard work? Tell that to the hardworking nurse or carer or teacher or policeman, for that matter, who work just as hard, if not harder, and get paid a lot less. Matt's going, all the people at Tear Fund. Yes, that's what gets a clap from Matt, mentioning Tear Fund. Look at him, loving it. If you're going to take all the credit for yourself, for the successes in your life, then you can't blame Jesus when things in your life go wrong. You can't have it both ways, can you? Jesus did all the bad stuff, but I did all the good stuff. Really, I suspect it's the other way around. And it's one of the reasons I find Stephen Fry's views so offensive. I once saw him say the following words when he's being interviewed by someone about his atheism. They asked him, so, okay, say it's all true, and you're wrong, and you meet God, what are you going to say to him? And he said, bone cancer in children, how dare you? And I was filled with rage, literal rage. I was like, no, Stephen Fry, how dare you? How dare you say the loving creator of the universe doesn't exist in one breath and then blame him for cancer in the other to further your own religion? How dare you? You can't have it both ways to suit your own means. He either exists, in which case you can ask him that question, or if he doesn't, as you say, then no one or nothing is to blame for cancer. Pick a lane, Stephen Fry. Hope he's listening. Of course he's not, but God is bigger than my rant. Breathe, let's move on. If you, if I literally, that fills me with rage. Literal what I hope is godly rage. How dare you? Zip your mouth, no one wants to hear from you. And if you've been doing read scripture, you'll know we've just finished Matthew. And Jesus' words in Matthew are quite clear too, aren't they? They're equally challenging for us, but they give us a huge insight as to where the problem lies, our hearts. In Matthew 23, he refers to the leaders as hypocrites and likens them to whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all, sort, and all sorts of impurity. Gross. I don't want to be like that. On the outside, all shiny, shiny and perfect, but on the inside, still following our worldly, sinful ways. You see, the Bible says that the world looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at our heart. So how are our hearts today? How are our hearts today? And I think the Bible's quite clear that God wants our whole heart not like a little tiny bit of it, or can I just keep that bit back, please, Lord? He wants your whole heart, all of us, good and bad. 
In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So all through the Bible, the prophets predicted how we as people would continue to withhold our whole self, our hearts, from God. Maybe turning up and going through the motions, but never really believing that his love is actually for us. Becoming lukewarm in our praise, lukewarm in our reading, lukewarm in our service, lukewarm in our love of Jesus. And leading up to Revelation, we've been warned over and over again by all the wonderful, unusual people God used to bring and spread the good news. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy 3, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And I don't know about you, but that does sound like our world today. So how do we blast lukewarmity out of our church, out of our hearts, and out of the world? Well, God's so loving, he gave us his word and the Holy Spirit to help us. He knew that none of it was possible in our strength. None of it. He predicted as much throughout his word as we've heard already. The last verse in that bit of Revelation 3 says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. He commands us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I've said before, and I'm going to keep saying it, and now we're going, I'm just going to say it even louder, that being led by the Holy Spirit is not a denominational choice. It's not a style of theology, and it's not a style of worship. It's a command by God because it's what's best for us, and it's what's best for our souls and our salvation. We can't go, we're Anglicans, we don't really behave like that. You know, it's getting a bit unnecessary in church right now, if you, if you ask me, all this kind of, you know, overreaction with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that, does it? I can hear Nisha laughing. He doesn't say that. He's asking us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the solution lies in Acts 2, the solution to this problem. It's the early church. It's our blueprint and our inspiration. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house with where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in their own languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So they were so full of the Holy Spirit, people thought they were hammered. They thought they were hammered and a little bit mad. No one has ever said that about us here at St. Saviour's. And that's not a good thing. 
If you all left here like that and everyone's going, look at them streaming out of there, completely hammered, I'd be going, yay! Unless you actually were, and they're not yay. No one says that about us. Wouldn't it be great if they did? And what happened next in Acts? Well, the most amazing thing happened. After this, Peter, remember Peter who got it wrong numerous times? He began to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they could all understand what he was saying because they've all been given the gift of being able to understand in their own language. And he said this, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. 3,000 people came to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit, falling on the people, including the preacher. And But what I think is equally important is what happened Next. So in Acts 2 42 to 47, it says the believers form a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Hooray, again. The Holy Spirit fell. They received it. And then it prompted a loving response from them. That's the bit where we fall down. So if we're not led by the Spirit, the response won't happen. It transformed the world around them. Their response transformed their community, which is the exact opposite of what it says in Revelation 3, isn't it? Isn't that what I've just described in Acts, the opposite of what we just said in Revelation 3? Yes, Ro, we are still alive. It is, isn't it? Thank you, Alex. It's not a lukewarm presence among the Acts 2 church, was it? I can see you. See, look, if you don't smile at me, then I'll just start pointing at you. It was the same human people as us. Same human people, different issues, but the same human people. As Choppers always says... Same circus, different monkeys. That's what it was. But what was the difference? The difference was the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit. And I love one Bible commentator. He described it like this. When the Holy Spirit fell, his coming produced a transformation in the lives of ordinary, everyday people who became extraordinary people doing extraordinary things in extraordinary ways. I want that, please. Hands up here who wants that. Wow, that's more than at the 9.15. Excellent. We're growing and learning. Good. I want to be one of those ordinary people whose life is transformed by the Holy Spirit so I can become extraordinary for Jesus. I can do extraordinary things for his kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why don't we, a week after Pentecost, ask the Holy Spirit to fall on us afresh, transform us afresh, anoint us afresh, because I'm going to leave you with the words of John Stott as we just go into a time of worship, as we respond in worship and prayer. And I'm going to leave you with his words. He said, we do not need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He came on the day of Pentecost and he never left the church. He never left. He's here. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead." And I don't believe St. Saviour's is a church without the Spirit. I don't believe that this place is dead. I believe this place is coming to life in the Spirit. It is alive in the Spirit. We just need to lay down our Britishness or wherever you were born. You may have inherited Britishness when you moved here. And just lay, we don't all have to be like that. But we can be how we're meant to be in Jesus. Well, you Come on. I mean, could you clap anymore? Okay, I can't help it. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't all have to be Kirsty or me, but you are called to be something, to move and to change in his power. If you're not moving and changing, how would you go to the other side of the world and leave everybody you love here? Without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't do it. Because then I'd just do what I want. And yes, it sounds like a bit of a fake calling because it's a nice place, but it's 6,000 miles away. And I know what Ron's being called to do. We are in no doubt. But I don't know what he's calling me or the kids to do. We have to wait to have that. But I trust and believe his Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us where we're going and he will show up and he will do stuff if we ask him. And he's here waiting for you. So why don't we close our eyes? Why don't you stand and let's close our eyes. Let's put out the hands, reminding ourselves they're not magic hands. It's just a saying, I want to receive from you, Lord. I want to sing with a joy in my heart. Even if that means I'm on my knees on the floor quietly, or if I'm arms wide open, but I want to worship with my whole heart, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Let people who need prayer come for prayer instead of leaving and taking the burden home again. Let people who want transformation in their life to leave their stuff and throw it at the foot of the cross in boldness and say, I will be transformed in the love and power of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and mend our hearts. Give us the spirit of boldness. Break off the spirit of lukewarmity off each and every one of us. Break off the spirit of discontentment and moaning. And give us the spirit of joy, the joy of our salvation, so we can go and proclaim the gospel wherever you are, just like the man did this morning. Philip, he was called away from a whole massive congregation to go and bring one man to Jesus, to preach the gospel to one man. And who knows what happened in Ethiopia because he did that. But he didn't go, I'm not going because it's only one man. He said, I'll go with, he said he went with joy. He went with, he went with absolute certainty that it was what God was asking him to do without knowing the answer. So come Holy Spirit, we pray and proclaim this church will be a church of transformation in Sunbury, that the gospel will spread out like a river of gold throughout the streets and houses of Sunbury. And your kingdom will be done as it is on earth, in, as it is in heaven here on earth, here in Sunbury. We proclaim that and we say that will be true in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Yes. For more information, please go to www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.